Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy life, long life on the earth. Fathers, do not expirate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your early masters with respect and fear, with sincerity and of heart, just as would you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholehearted as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, wherever he is a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their masters, yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Thanks, Roscoe. Uh, Keep your Bibles open. It's uh, perhaps familiar words and yet words which we're going to study in some detail this morning Uh, and it will be good if you can follow along as we do so. Uh, There's a well-known story. um, Probably every preacher uses it at least once in his lifetime. I think this is the first time I've used it, so hopefully it's fresh to you as well. Uh, But the story goes that a man was walking past a building site, large building site, and he saw their working three stonemasons labouring away in the hot sun, sweating away doing their job. He went up to the first and he asked him, what are you doing? And the man impatiently uh, muttered to him, I'm shaping stone. So he kept going. He went to the second. He said, what are you doing? The man grumbled to him, I'm setting the foundations. He went to the third And again he asked, what are you doing? And the man stood up, uh, smiled at him and said, I am building a great cathedral, he said cheerfully. Uh, It's a great story, (laughs) I like it. Because it shows to us just how the different perspective can change the way we do our work. All the men were doing the same work, all were, were doing essentially the same task, shaping stone. And yet one man knew his place in the grander scheme of things. And as such, he was able to do it joyfully. Uh, It was a motivation for him. That's essentially Paul's point in our passage today. The the passage is intensely practical, it's particularly specific, and yet Paul wants through all of it to remind us, don't lose the big picture. Don't lose the uh, the grand scheme of things. I mean, remember what this book has been about the whole way we've been working through it. This book, the book of Ephesians, is all about all things for Jesus and all things under Jesus. Because as we've been hearing all morning, he is the king of all. And even our families, even our jobs fit into that. There is a grand scheme that's going on all around us, a plan to bring all things under Christ And our homes, our workplaces are part of that. 
How does that look? What, uh, how does it work? Well, that's what we're going to be exploring together this morning. We start with our kids. We've talked a little bit to our kids, but there's more uh, to say here. It's not just for our, our little children, but for those who are older as well. Uh, I have to admit, these verses weren't my favourite when I was a kid. Not because I had bad parents. My parents were great. Don't, don't think otherwise. But I don't think I ever really got it as a kid. Let's just look at these verses again. Verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. It's a pretty strong command, isn't it? I mean, last week we looked at husbands and wives. The command there was submit, voluntarily subordinate yourself. But here, kids, it's even stronger. It's obey. Uh, there's no wiggle room here. Uh, there's more clear authority structure. But Paul also gives a whole bunch of reasons why obedience is here and why it is good. He says, kids, obey, for this is right. Uh, we, we often read that as righteous, um, and it's certainly true, but that's actually not what Paul's got in mind here. It's just a bit more mundane even. He's saying kids obey because it's the right thing to do, because it's good, it's proper, that's the correct order of things. I mean, we, we kind of know that intuitively, don't we? Uh, when you're out and about and you see kids uh, bossing around or manipulating their parents, it, it doesn't feel right, does it? We, we kind of cringe a little bit because we know that's not how it ought to be. Children are to obey your parents because it is right. But also, kids, obey because there is good promise to you. Uh, Paul makes it clear here of all the Ten Commandments, uh, the one concerning parents and children is the first that comes with a promise. And he repeats that promise here, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Uh, Paul's quoting the Old Testament. He's changed the wording a little bit. He's made it a bit more general to apply to the church today, uh, well, there and, and today as well. And he's saying this is a general principle. Kids, if you obey your parents, it will go well with you. If you honour your mother and father, your life will benefit. It will be good for you. Now, he's not saying if you obey your parents, you, you'll have a successful life and you'll be very rich and everything will go well. He doesn't guarantee that. He doesn't say that will happen. We still live in a sinful world. We still live in a broken world. Even if you obey, things will still go wrong in your life. But as a general principle, honouring, obeying your parents will lead to a, a, an enjoyable, uh, a peaceful, a well-structured life. It is the right way and it comes with that promise. But the final reason Paul gives is the key reason. We've kind of touched on it a bit already. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Not that they are your parents in the Lord, but obey in the Lord. It's that very thought, that very idea that has been driving the whole book of Ephesians. You are in the Lord. He is your king. You are under him. He is in charge. You are part of him. His command drives your life and this command too. Obey your parents. Obey your parents because in doing so, you are obeying Jesus. You are pleasing Jesus. 
be nice if it was just that simple. <laughs> uh, it doesn't make it easy, does it? Uh, we, we inherently don't like following instructions. We don't like rules and commands. Uh, we'd love it if we had a whole bunch of suggestions. That would be kind of nice. Or uh, Pirates of the Caribbean was on. More, just guidelines. If you've seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, I saw a T-shirt label the other day. I don't know if you've ever looked at T-shirt labels. You've probably got better things to do. But they come with a list of rules, don't they? Uh, machine wash, cold wash, lion dry, don't iron the print, so on and so forth. Some of them are, are enormous. But this one had on the bottom a final rule. It said, or not, I'm just a T-shirt, do what you want. It's better than the ones that say, just give it to your wife. Um, but see, that's what we prefer, isn't it? We, we, we like the idea of just suggestions, just guidelines, rules are hard, obedience is hard. And Paul knows that. Paul knows that. He could have gone here, in, this, in these verses, uh, to go and lay out the consequences of disobeying your parents. Uh, he does so elsewhere and he shows very clearly that, that God doesn't like it, God takes it very serious. But he doesn't do that here. He says, children obey in the Lord. Obey not because there's consequences, but obey your parents because of a greater love. A love not only for your parents, but a love for Jesus and a desire to obey him. If you love Jesus, obey your parents. Do it otherwise as well, but especially if you love Jesus, obey your parents. Now there's a few exceptions, limitations on this. Uh, Paul's talking about obeying your parents while you live at home. Uh, when you get older, when you move out, respect, honour your parents, definitely. But whilst you live with them, obey them. Whether you're 8, whether you're 18, if you're under their roof, you're under their authority and you need to obey. But you don't need to obey if what they're telling you is wrong. Not just if you think they're wrong... <laughs> but if they're actually wrong, if what they're telling you is sinful, if what they're telling you is harmful or dangerous or contradicts scripture, if they tell you to do that, you don't have to obey them and you shouldn't obey them. But all other times, obey. Obey respectfully, obey them and honour them. Obey them if it's unfair, obey them if it's annoying, Obey them if it doesn't make sense to you. Serve your Jesus and obey your parents. It's not easy. So do it, keeping in mind the bigger picture that Paul's trying to keep uh, in front of us here. That, that bigger picture that we opened our service with, those opening verses from Ephesians. Remember, you have a heavenly Father who is perfect, he's chosen you, he loves you dearly. And even though your parents will, he will never let you down. And remember that in obeying, in submitting, in honouring your parents, you are serving and honouring Jesus. It will help. It will help you play your role well because it's part of his plan and his plan is a good plan and it is for your benefit. But if that's kids, what about parents? Well, that's exactly where Paul goes. Let's have a look at verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
this section is addressed directly to fathers uh, and dads, we need to pay attention to that. We are the head of the home, we saw that last week. Uh, we are to lead as head of the home lo- in love, uh, loving sacrificially like a servant, like Christ has done for us. And so we need to read this and take responsibility. Disciplining, uh, raising our kids is not the job of our wife. True, she spends more time with the kids so she gets a larger part of that role but we bear the responsibility there. We are the head of the home, we play a part. But of course this is not uh, us alone. Dads are addressed because of the fact that they are head of their household but these instructions here are true for for mothers as well. Uh, It's true for parents in general. So what are we to do? Well, we are not to exasperate our children, uh, literally not to provoke them to anger. It's the same word, uh, it's used dozens of times in the Old Testament to describe what uh, Israel did to God when they disobeyed him. They kept on provoking him to anger. Well, we are not to do the same to our children. We are not, by doing the wrong things, by saying the wrong things, to drive our kids to anger or frustration whether it's by being inconsistent or being unreasonable, being unjust or neglecting our kids, whether it's by fault-finding or nitpicking, none of those things are we to do and so drive our kids to anger. Instead, what we're to do is to bring our kids up. Uh, The word is literally nourish. It's the same word as what husbands are to do for their wives to nourish our kids, to to bring them up in the instruction and training of the Lord. It is our job, given us by God himself, to guide our children, correct what's wrong, to teach what's right, to point them in God's ways so that they will know those ways but more importantly so that they will know him. That is the goal that is being set for us here, that our kids would know God. Uh, Ever since having kids, we've discussed in our house uh, what sport we should encourage our kids into. Uh, Encourage (laughs) our kids into. Uh, We've got a couple of criteria for choosing this. It has to be one that earns a good deal of money. (laughs) It also has to be one that takes us, the parental support team, Uh, to the most exotic locations. (laughs) We've settled on uh, one for Amira. Amira is going to play tennis. She doesn't know that yet, but she's going to play tennis. We figured women's tennis is paid really well uh, compared to most other sports, but also the tournaments happen in really great places. Uh, I would love to go to Paris and London, uh, to the States. Tennis would take us to great places and give us good seats in those stadiums. Jethro, we're not really set on Jethro yet. I kind of like the idea of surfing. Uh, There's not heaps of money in surfing, but there are good endorsements and it takes you to amazing places. I could use a trip to Fiji every year uh, and Hawaii and elsewhere. I think that would be good. I don't know, he's shown a bit of aptitude for basketball, like his old man. Uh, (laughs) So there's always a possibility there as well. And look, there's lots of benefits too. I'm joking, clearly joking. We're, we're, this is not serious. I, okay, if our kids go into sport, wonderful. We'll support them in that. That's great. But that is not our goal. <laughs> I just want to make that really clear. That's not our goal. 
the goal that we have, the goal that all of us as Christian parents have is simple. It's, it's better, it's harder and it's right here. It is training our kids, it is instructing our kids in the Lord. So we're called to do a lot of things for our kids but this is number one. To raise our kids to know God, to know his ways to do it through our instructing, our correcting, our leading, our teaching. I mean, we can enlist others in it, and we should. We can enlist friends, family, youth groups, school, whatever it is. But the chief responsibility is ours. It's us. It's kind of a terrifying task, isn't it? And I think for a few reasons... Uh, we all know the old maxim, you, know, you, you tend to become your parents. For some of us, that's not a concern. You know, we like our parents and we had a good relationship that, that worked well. But for others, that idea is terrifying. You know, that we might be a parent to our children as our parents were to us. And when we see that happening, when we see that playing out, it freaks us out. But there's actually hope in that maxim too you tend to become your parents. That's actually a great thing for us because we've got a new dad. We've become part of a new family and our new father, our heavenly father, is perfect. He's good and he's just. Not only do we learn from his fathership of us, but he's also remaking us and reshaping us to be just like him. When we love our Father, our Heavenly Father, when we submit to Him, when we obey Him, we grow to be like Him. We learn His ways. And we learn from Him how to be the mothers and fathers that our kids need us to be, that He wants us to be. Now it's true, we're going to still wrestle with our old ways. Uh, We're still going to fight against the habits we've learnt as kids. But as we do so, we are going to be far better equipped in that. I think the other terror of this command is that very searching question. Why don't my kids love Jesus? Or what if they don't? What if they don't love Jesus? No, it's terrifying. We know what's at stake. We know eternity is at stake here. And it's haunting because the responsibility is placed on us as parents. But look closely at this text. Look at what it says there at the end of verse 4. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Not, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord and make them his. It doesn't work like that. I mean, sometimes we kind of want it to, but it doesn't, and that's good. This is not a foolproof technique to ensure that your kids will grow up loving Jesus. It doesn't work like that. In God's grace, it often does end that way. Uh, Even if there's a time of wandering, even if there's a time of rejection before the return. But the key here is that phrase, God's grace. That's what it's all about. God wants you to raise your kids his way. He, He tells you to do so, so that they will know him.
Thank you very kindly. God wants you to raise your kids knowing him. He wants you to raise them in the instructing of him, but it is only ever by his grace that that will actually happen. It is only ever because of his work that that will be the outcome. You may be the means that he uses to that end. If so, rejoice. What a great privilege that is. But he is the one who does it. He is the one who sees that end coming. He is the only one who makes their hearts alive. So do the work that he set you. Raise your kids as well as you can. But pray. Pray that he will bring them to the end that we so earnestly want them to. That he will draw your kids to himself. Bring your kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That is absolutely number one. You know, everything else, great. If you have the opportunity, do it. If it's sports, if it's music, if it's gym, if it's science, if it's holidays, whatever, great. But they are beside the point. They are not the goal. They are just a bonus on the way. Number one is teach your kids of God. Teach them of him. Teach them who he is. Teach them what he's done in Jesus. Set aside time. Set aside time in your day and in your week to speak of these things with them. Pray with your kids. Talk of your faith. Talk of their faith with them. Talk of their wrestles, their doubts, their fears. I know some of us weren't brought up that way and that's okay. It it can be hard to kind of do something which is so foreign to us. But talk to other parents. Talk to those who have been parents long before you ever were. Get, Get help from those around you. Learn from one another how to be a godly parent. Model grace, speak in and of grace. Demonstrate love in your marriage. Let your kids see you prioritising Jesus and they will learn to do so as well. I know lots of us wrestle with the busyness of life. Uh, We wrestle with the burdens that, that everything else puts on our Christian life Uh, and we need to learn how to balance our lives well to evaluate wisely the choices that we're making and how to use our time. But we don't need to repeat the mistakes with our kids. We don't need to to fill their time up so much that they've got no time for anything else. I mean, what a tragedy it would be to, to give our kids a full life but crowd out Christ. What a disaster. Bring them up in him. Raise them in the knowledge of God. Train them, instruct them in him and in his ways and you'll give them the most precious gift ever. Just bear with me. Thank you. For the sake of... uh, For the sake of brevity, uh, we have linked thank you, the last two together. We're going to deal with slaves uh, and masters at the same time. <clears throat> it, it, it's a section that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, I think. The, the, the fact that Paul can talk about slaves without condemning slavery, is, uh, it, it, it feels a bit wrong. It, it's certainly not how we would like him to talk about this. Uh, some people try to defend Paul here by saying simply that slavery then... Uh, It wasn't the same as slavery is today or slavery has been in recent times. And there's truth there. Uh, There is a bit of truth there. Uh, Slavery in Paul's day 
Now, it was different. Slavery wasn't often for life. Um, Slaves could often be freed uh, or free themselves by their 30s, uh, early 40s. Uh, Slavery certainly wasn't as harsh then as it has been in recent times or is now. Uh, I don't know if you've, I mean, you might have seen 12 Years a Slave or or similar movies. Slavery in the US was was brutal, was very, very uh, awful. But in Paul's day, it was different. Uh, Slaves could be paid, slaves could rise to very high positions within society, they could be CEOs, uh, and generally they were treated relatively well. (coughs) But slavery was still a curse. And even though Paul never outright condemns slavery, neither does he condone it. Now, I think the reason he doesn't say anything about it here, or anything against it here, is that he realised that for for such a huge social structure to change, I mean, in his day, 30% of the population were slaves. You know, one in three people were a slave. For, For something so massive to change, first the gospel had to go out which is why Paul prioritises that. Because as the gospel went out, as it spread throughout the world of the time, uh, as it did so, it sowed seeds everywhere which eventually broke that slavery movement completely. And so today we can endorse this passage at the same time as strongly condemning slavery in all its forms around the world. Now even though none of us here are slaves despite what you think of your boss and your workplace, uh, this is still a passage that speaks very clearly to us because it tells us how we ought to work, whether we are employers or employees. So let's just read it again from verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favouritism with him. Essentially, Paul's saying is, whatever your role is, do it well. Do it for Jesus. Workers, obey, uh, respect, fear or or, or honour your boss and do it sincerely. Don't do it when they're seeing you. Don't do it uh, to get a reward. Don't only work well when your boss is looking over your shoulder. Don't only work well to get ahead in your job, but work well as for Jesus, for his sake. Work well for him. Now, growing up on the farm, uh, from a very young age, Dad put us to work. Uh, we claimed it was child labour and should be illegal. Uh, looking back, it was very much to our benefit. But the first job we ever got was making boxes, uh, making boxes to put our tomatoes in. It's a very simple job. One person folds the other person staples, then we stack them together. Dad paid us by the box. We got 10 cents per box from memory. Uh, We do about 300 a week. You would think that we would kind of, you know, consider how that job works and do it as fast as possible. Make the most amount of money in the least amount of time. If you thought that, you are wrong. We did not. (laughs) 
We made piles of boxes and hid under them. Uh, It was great to scare people with. We would throw them at each other and have wars with boxes. You can build forts with boxes that are very big. Uh, Our favourite pastime was catching the cat, putting the cat under the box, uh, and the box would scuttle around the floor frantically whilst we rolled around in stitches. It was hilarious. Our cats lived to very long ages. They were obviously very happy, don't worry. We got into frequent fights uh, over who would do which job better, over who was faster, who was worse, who was slacking, who was not, etc., etc. This simple job would take us an awful long time. Unless Dad was around. Then it happened a lot quicker. But unfortunately, as adults, most of us don't grow very well past that stage, do we? I mean, we, we learn to muck up in different ways, but we still do it. Whether it's social media at work, whether it's doing your personal business, your admin, planning your holidays on the job, uh, we, 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 we draw out quick jobs, easy jobs, so as to avoid getting given the harder one. We, we see that it's half an hour to knock off and so we draw out the job that we're on so we don't get given another one and have to stay late. We pick jobs that, that our bosses will notice. We pick jobs that will reward ourselves, not our company. I mean, we could go on, couldn't we? There are infinite ways to muck up at work and I'm sure between us we've explored them all. But Paul's saying no. Instead, remember who you work for. Remember that you are under Jesus, that you're in him, that you're part of him. Remember that you're part of his glorious plan, that he is working throughout the world to draw all things to and under himself and that your work is part of that. Your job is under his job, his work. Work for your job but serve Jesus One commentator said this, he said, Our homes and offices are as much a place of worship of God as any church building or mission event. See, when you work well in your job, you work well for Jesus and you serve him. Look there at verse 7. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Actually, even though the NIV puts it in, there's no if there. There's no if and it matters. Don't work as if you're working for Jesus. Work because you are working for Jesus. You are serving him. You are working for his sake. And so do it diligently. Do it when no one else sees. Do the hard job that may never be noticed. Do it without grumbling. Do it without complaining. But serve the king. And the same goes for bosses and supervisors, and managers. (coughs) All of you uh, who have uh, employees under you, remember that you too are under authority. Don't threaten your workers, don't bully them, don't make unreasonable demands of them, but realise that you too are under a master. God is your king too. So what Paul's saying here is at the end of the day, uh, all of us, bosses, managers, employees, all of us are going to stand before God and we're going to do so at the same level. Uh, You might have the upstairs office now, but then we're all going to be in the box together. God is impartial. You won't get preferential treatment. So be humble. You need to make decisions in your job, that's part of it. Sometimes those decisions are hard and you need to be a leader in that. But do it with humility. Be impartial. Be a boss like Jesus is your boss. Gracious. 
firm, gentle, just and true. See, whether you're an employer, whether you're an employee, whatever your role is, do it like Jesus, do it for Jesus. Do it so he gets the praise, do it so others notice him, do it in a way that ultimately is serving him. See, at the end of the day, that is why this passage matters for each of us here. Whether you're a child living at home or not, whether you're a parent or not, whether you are a worker or a boss or not, all of us at the end of the day are driven by this same principle, living for and serving Jesus. In our homes, in our clubs, in our workplaces, wherever we go, living for him, serving him, playing our part in his eternal and glorious plan to bring all things to himself, all things under himself, even at your home, even at your workplace. Remember the big picture. What are you doing when you obey your parents? What are you doing when you teach your kids? What are you doing when you work? You are serving Jesus. And every day is a chance to serve him well, to love him well and to build his kingdom. So be glad and live out the role he's given you well. Let's pray for his help uh, to that very end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to remember the big picture in our lives as your people. Help us to remember that we play a part in the fulfilment of your eternal plan to bring all things under Jesus, our King. Father, help us to realise that our homes, our workplaces, whether we're children or parents, whether we're workers or bosses, are all part of your glorious work. And so, Father, help us to serve Jesus gladly wherever you've placed us. As we pick up our roles for the week again tomorrow, as we do it through the rest of this year, give us all we need to do so in service to you. Equip us with everything it takes that you will be praised in us. And Father, may you work powerfully so that through us as we live for you, your kingdom will grow and you will be glorified in all things. In Jesus, our King, we pray. Amen.